0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin, and I want to first say thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. If you've been listening to us regularly this year, you've noticed that every time we've had one of our virtual goal sessions, we have shared a little snippet of that little preview to kind of give you an idea of what was talked about at that virtual session. And this episode is no different. We recently had our final goal virtual presentation for 2021, and it was fantastic and had a really good turnout. And so what we wanted to do was instead of giving you a little snippet of one of the panel discussions or just a little taste of a presentation that, you know, kind of requires you to be able to see a slideshow, we thought we would give you a recording of the full keynote address so what you're going to hear is from our most recent goal event finale and it is the full keynote address by Arne Matheson who is the senior advisor at Iceland Ocean Cluster so please enjoy this episode if you want to see this talk or any of the other presentations from the virtual goal event please go ahead to globalseafood.org goal you can check out all the presentations that happened at this final virtual event as well as all of the ones previous that happened this year If you want to get in contact with us, please remember to use the contact form at globalseafood.org podcast or find us on twitter at aquademia pod remember to subscribe to aquademia wherever you get your podcasts so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available and also if you have a couple minutes please feel free to go ahead and leave us a rating and review wherever you listen it really helps the show and helps us kind of grow the community and get in front of more listeners so without further ado please enjoy this presentation by arnie matheson from our most recent final virtual goal event 2021 and we will talk to you next time
1: Pleased to be with you today in this session. Uh, today, I'm going to make the case for blue growth in the context
2: of COP26 and the Food Systems uh, Summit. Why do we need blue growth? Well, there are
1: quite a few reasons, and I will try and itemize a few of them here. One of the big ones is that we are not managing collectively to avert negative changes due to climate change. Another one is that population growth is not debating as previously, actually many times, has been predicted. And thirdly, because global consumption keeps on increasing. And as if this wasn't enough, Global soils keep being degraded, and on a global scale, water management is not very successful. And another one that's hit us in recent years is the encroachment on natural habitats, with the consequential biodiversity loss and imbalances resulting in new diseases being transferred from animals to man. And the sum of this is that the growth of the supply of nutritious food will not be enough to feed the growing
2: global population of the future. The Glasgow Cup just finished a few days ago. And one of the big questions there, or in the aftermath, one that Greta Thunberg reply to is, did it fail? And if it did fail, did all the other cops fail as well? And that also begs the question, if they failed, were they useless? Were they maybe all useless? I would tend to agree with Greta Thunberg that this cop failed. And in the context
1: of having an agreed collective approach to to solving the problems related to climate change, you would then have to say that they have all failed. But I think I disagree with Greta about the usefulness. I think they are useful, and I think they have all been useful, because today there is a much larger number of people and a higher proportion of the global population
2: that understands the problem that we are faced with. But how will we then move on, and what will happen? Well, we have to consider then that the problem is not an either-or problem. It has many shapes, forms and stages, and therefore it can be reacted to in many ways. And I believe,
1: then, that we will be reacting on a country-by-country basis, possibly also on a region-by-region basis, and on, and that is important for us, a sector-by-sector basis. We will be, to some extent, mitigating the problems that are predicted, and we will definitely be adapting to the changes that
2: have been predicted. We will suffer some consequences, but the problems and the changes will probably not be as severe because we will
1: react and adapt, and to some extent mitigate some of them more than actually preventing them. Because we will, in spite of everything, manage to do quite a lot. We will probably be doing it more in a similar way as we have reacted to the COVID pandemic. Individual countries have been reacting, and groups of countries have been reacting, rather than the world as a whole being reacting together. The outcome will, in my mind, obviously be worse than if we had all acted together. But it will not be an unmitigated disaster.
2: And then the question for us: what can the blue aquatic sector do? Well, I think we all know that blue aquatic food
1: is an excellent source of proteins. It is probably the highest quality protein that you can that you can find. And Fish account for about 17% of animal protein consumption by the global
2: population. But in addition to that, the omega-3 fatty acids are increasingly being recognized as something essential to the development of man. You might know that our
1: brains are basically made of fatty acids, So, you could say that the future of mankind and its development lies in the oceans and in the seafood that we can harvest from there or produce in in the marine environment. But there is greater diversity to the, the good qualities of fish than this. There are minerals and vitamins which are necessary to ward off all kinds of deficiency diseases. These are the micronutrients. Of high bioavailability, minerals and vitamins that stave off, as I said, various deficiency diseases. Yeah. A few years ago, FAO set up this diagram of how food insecurity, hunger, and malnutrition affects uh, our, our development. And you can see that I have circled. the the bright yellow arrow in the middle, where it says insufficient intake of calories, protein, vitamins and minerals, which basically reflects the earlier slide, which would fit very nicely into this arrow and therefore contribute to avoiding child stunting and wasting, micronutrient
2: deficiencies, and overweight and obesity. We also know that the environmental footprint of of, uh,
1: aquaculture and fisheries is much lighter than the production of of high quality animal protein on land. I've circled here, carps and salmonids as an example, and you can compare it to the terrestrial livestock in the the lower on in in the slide and basically, the only terrestrial production animal that comes close to through to the run-of-the-mill aquaculture species are, are chicken. So, this is, this is something that we should keep in mind.
2: So, what is then the potential of the ocean? Well, all of this production, made on land or in the oceans derives from sunlight – primary production driven by sunlight. We know that 2% of the food supply in the world comes from the oceans,
1: while 98% comes from from land, even if over two-thirds of the surface area of the globe is oceanic. And only about one third is is land. and you can see here on these pie diagrams that
2: the total continental production on an annual basis is is uh, twice the production uh, from uh, from the, from the oceans or the marine production. however, interestingly the The world biomass or the standing stocks are are a multiplicity,
1: a couple couple of multiplicities greater on land than in the marine environment. And even if the production, the the production rate is higher on land, this means that the turnover in the marine environment is huge. It's fantastically huge. It means that the potential and the capacity to improvement, to increase production, is, is great in the oceans. And we should be looking towards gaining some of that in our,
2: our fight to stave off hunger and malnutrition in the world. What can we then do? Well, as I said, we're only using a fraction of the ocean space
1: and only a fraction of the primary production today. So the question is, what can we achieve within the conventional? Can we use more of the primary production that is already being produced? Can we
2: increase the primary production? And are there there new opportunities there that we haven't seen before?
1: We have to be responsible as well, and we need to ask ourselves, are there limits to what we can do there? And yes, there are obviously limits, and these are technical and environmental, and we need to look at that. And we don't know what these limits are, but we
2: will not really find out until we until we try. This is a a favorite slide of mine which shows or compares the difference between the the food pyramid on land and in the oceans. You can see
1: that food production on land is positioned quite differently in the trophic levels than food production from the marine environment or the oceans is. We are primarily harvesting from level one and two, from grains and vegetables, et cetera,
2: at level one, and through to ruminants and other other uh, animals with
1: other types of fermenting stomachs or intestines in our our food production on land. And the trophic levels above third and fourth and fifth if if there are such things as the fourth and the fifth trophic levels on land we harvest very little or very exceptionally under exceptional circumstances and cases we are harvesting very little from the lower trophic levels in the oceans and our harvest there is primarily in the the three trophic levels that we do not harvest on land. And there we are basically harvesting uh, carnivorous animals that live on other carnivorous animals. In the context of of land, these are the wolf eaters and the eaters of of wolf, wolf eaters. Very picturesque animals in the imagination
2: of the artist that designed this slide. So, we need to move down
1: the food pyramid. We need to put greater emphasis on the lower trophic levels, both for direct consumption, but the production at these lower trophic levels can also be used in in aquaculture, the fastest growing food sector over the past few few decades. I'm not saying that we should not be harvesting at the upper levels. <clears throat> I think we should still do that, but we need to get a better balance in this, because in the upper levels, there are very important um, vitamins, minerals, and, uh, and fatty acids that we need for our, our, uh, our development. Because they accumulate in the food pyramid as we move up the trophic levels. But the inefficiency in in this, in relying so heavily on the upper levels of, of the food pyramid, is that at each level change we lose a lot of, of energy. And there's energy inefficiency. But there are also positives, and we should manage this in a in a different different way. There are obviously opportunities. The phyton zooplankton, we see quite a lot of of um, research going into, into these elements today. Also microalgae, and we should be looking at marine bacteria as well, because of the fantastic turnover that that is there. But there are also similar things happening on land in terrestrial production, which could also be of benefit. And we should remember, and I'll mention this a little bit later, that we are a part of
2: a a food system where things hang, hang together. But there is a lot to be gained here. Agriculture, as I said, has been the fastest-growing food sector
1: over a, a few decades, and it will keep on growing quite fast in the coming coming years. Even though it might not grow equally fast as it has been growing in the in the past, but but it has not been the marine environment that has sustained this growth, because the proportion. Of marine ingredients that are going into aquaculture
2: have been reduced from twenty four percent twenty years ago to seven percent uh, today. So we need so you you could say then that the growth in aquaculture
1: has been one of the contributing factors to the stresses that are being put on land-based food production. And we therefore need to relieve some of that pressure and move out to the oceans, move further down the food pyramid and, and harvest at the lower trophic levels in the oceans to, to use as ingredients in
2: our, our aquaculture and for direct consumption. And to do that, we need to look at the blue aquatic food system. And here in this
1: very pictures and complex slide, you see the various the various parts of the a- a- ecosystem, from the, the bottom-dwelling creatures, to the pelatic species, to the, the, the ground fish, aqu- aquaculture, the, the clams all of this needs to be harvested we need to do it in the, the the right most environmentally friendly and the most economical proportions and if we do
2: that we can increase what we harvest from the oceans and and use
1: to help us Feed the world with nutritious food in the future. But then I haven't mentioned the Food System Summit, except to say just earlier that we must remember that we are a part of a global food system. And the question then is: what did the Food System Summit bring to the table in, in at the meeting in New York in September? In my mind, it was primarily recognition. In my time, I have not felt that the blue aquatic food system has gotten as much recognition as it got during this this summit and in the lead up to the summit. It was not easy. People had to be reminded that this sector is there, but they responded, and during the preparation, in the prep work and in the pre-summit, good attention was being given to the Blue Aquatic Food System. And you could hear that echo through in the UN Secretary-General's concluding speech or the summary speech at the the summit, where you could feel that the, the, the marine and the freshwater aquatic food system was included in everything he was saying when talking about the food systems in general, and that SDG 14 was being held there in high regard. This we can also see in the post-summit coalition work. The Blue Aquatic Food Alliance was one of the six that got a mention during the summit. And we can also see opportunities in the other alliances, particularly the School Meals Alliance, plus other alliances for the blue aquatic sector. And other inspired activities, the Blue Food Assessment and the Blue Food Partnership, were linked and visible during the days of the, the summit. And I feel today that I don't need, actually, to show this slide, which is a slide to show how, how um, demand is growing for, for the, the Blue Aquatic Products. Everybody recognizes it now, and I'd like to end with what I call the blue task list, which is a list that I put together just before COVID, and it still remains there. And let's keep in mind that we have opportunities, we have recognition, and we should move forward and get more from the marine food ecosystem. Thank you very much.